You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Pride to Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout. Get you 15% off your order. That's POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, Pride to Detroit.com, Pride to Detroit on Twitter, Pride to Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us live now on twitch.tv slash Pride to Detroit and youtube.com at Pride of Detroit. And wouldn't you know it, the Lions have now made it two in a row in the playoffs. My energy is finally coming down from its psychotic uh, hysteria. And I want to keep living in this moment. I want to keep living in this moment right now. And we're going to talk about how cool this moment was for us as Lions fans. We have to break down the game for us as Lions commentators as well. We have to talk about San Francisco. We have to talk about a lot of things on a very short period of time when emotions are still high and they deserve to be high because this team set out to do a promise. We started this year talking about how this energy felt different. And boy, has it been different. And boy, what a journey it has been so far. And there's more to come here soon. Don't call it a Cinderella story because the Lions deserve to be here fighting with the best of them because they are one of the best of them. I'm Chris Perfett, the adequate host at Chris Perfett on Twitter, P-E-R-F-E-T-T. Joining me as always, the fearless leader, Jeremy Reisman at Detroit on Lion, a man who is... uh like me, trying to keep the energy still going because it is bliss. It is bliss. Yeah. I mean, I actually got a, a pretty good night's sleep, but I still feel like I'm a little bit emotionally exhausted just for how hype everything was last night, how exciting it was be, to be in the building and, and see Ford Field blow the roof off for a second week in a row. And just the the emotions of it all. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've teared up about a, a, a dozen times just hearing other people's stories, thinking about my own story and, and, and how, the journey of my fandom and, and, and who brought me here and the, the, the luck that, that I have to, to be in the position I'm at to witness what I'm witnessing. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot to, to bear as a fan. And it's, uh, it's not something that any of us are, are ever going to forget. 
and Ryan Matthews. Back is the motherfucking rock guy. At Ryan underscore P-O-D. How have the emotions been for you, Ryan? How has everything been uh, for you in the 24 hours since watching Jarek Barnes pick off Baker Mayfield to seal the game? Jared Barnes or Derek Barnes? Derek Barnes. I said Derek <laughs> Barnes. Okay. Um, anyway, so no, you didn't, but okay. doesn't matter. Neither here nor there. Uh, the fact of the matter remains that, um, you know, there was uh, the, the little bit of uh, talk from Dan Campbell after the game where he was talking about what it meant for the city and, and how he's built this football team, like in the image of the, the city that it is. And um you know, talking about the the auto industry and and if any of you have been around for long enough, you remember Wally's world. And, uh, you know, it feels like I was kind of brought along on this track of Lions fandom. Like I didn't have any choice in the matter um, because it's what my dad did. And it's what I was, you know, given as, as, a, as a kid was, was this Lions fandom. And, um, you know, it, it feels very, uh, very satisfying. Um yeah, tough to tough to tough to work through all those emotions. You know, I, I guess I can kind of echo a lot of the sentiment that Jerry Jeremy, you know, had to say. Uh, you know, there, there's been moments where like, I talked about it last night, right? Like going to the grocery store and and even you know making turns on streets and things, and thinking about like, oh man, like the football team that I've rooted for for my entire life is in uh, you know territory that I I've never I've never witnessed them in before, so. Uh, it just continues to be surreal. I think surreal is the best way to describe it. Um, because at, at each and every turn of today, it's been surreal. There's been moments where I've stopped where I've seen the, the game on a television somewhere. I just stopped and watched it for like 10 minutes at a time. Just taking it all in, knowing how this thing's going to end. And it's just, yeah. It's it's fun listening to people talking about the Detroit Lions. It's fun even seeing guys like national guys, Steve Levy, talking about how he's just now getting his hearing back from Ford Field. Mike Florio, of all people, being like Detroit was awesome and people were awesome to us in Ford Field. People were nice to Mike Florio that that. Well, apparently to his crew, he to to pro football talk, not not to not to Mike Florio, according to him. So uh, but still like there's there's. There are nice things being said about Detroit. There are nice things being said about the Detroit Lions, not just nice things for the sake of saying nice things. There's not a hat mm-hmm. on the head. How cute is this kind of moment? There is an an acknowledgement that this is a new era for the Detroit Lions. Time is not a time is not in a in a in a capsule. Teams that have been bad forever don't stay bad forever. And I think people have realized how Dan Campbell has, using Bob Seeger, turned the page. How this is new, and not only that, that this is Detroit Lions belonging exactly where they belong in an NFC Championship game with a roster that is good enough to play for an NFC Championship title. I, I think that's a really good point, particularly that the na- not that I give a damn about what the national narrative is, but it does feel like the, the Lions have graduated from this Cinderella isn't this cute story. It's the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Detroit Lions. And I haven't seen anyone suggest that the Detroit Lions don't belong amongst those four teams. You know, we're talking about three teams here that have been the model of consistency in the modern era. We're talking about three teams 
that expect to be here every year. We're talking about three teams with elite quarterbacks, elite offenses, head coaches that are well-respected. And now the Detroit Lions are right there amongst them. And and yeah, I I haven't, it, I'm sure there are some naysayers out there. Most of them probably wearing Vikings uniforms um, <laughs> that, that think the Lions don't belong amongst that group. But I, I haven't, it has not been a, a loud group if they're out there. And that's, I mean, that's where we're at today. That The Lions are now considered amongst that NFL elite. And if they do it for a couple more years, the expectation is they are going to be there every year. They are going to get that same Steelers, Ravens, Packers treatment where it's just like, this is where the franchise is at. And that's what the goal has always been for this franchise, right? That's one of the things that Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes said in their introductory press conferences some three years ago, almost to the date, is that we're not looking to, to get a championship here. We are looking to be a model of an organization. And the fact that they've gotten to where they are right now in three years is still jaw-dropping to me. Absolutely jaw-dropping that they were able to get the kind of reputation for this franchise that has been so elusive for 70 years. They got there in three years from the ground up. That that needs to be celebrated more because that is that is not easy. That is not common. That is something that's just absolutely incredible about where this franchise is right now and the people that are in charge of it. There were times where you look at the past, Ryan, like the Chiefs were the easiest team on the on an AFC West schedule. Denver Broncos before they had John Elway. Losers. Patriots used to be losers. It feels like that moment where things changed. Yeah, I, I think I think things are changing though. Like it's it's a you know it's it's currently and it's progressive and it's moving forward. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the most important things to underline is that this isn't temporary. This isn't ephemeral. This doesn't all just vanish. You know, whenever it does, right? It doesn't all just go away and then it's all back to square one. Back in you know, uh, it, it doesn't all go back to square one next August. Um, when when the Lions ramp up for their following season, like th- this is here to stay, I think. And I think the other point, too, though, is um, I don't think nationally the Lions are getting the respect that either of those three teams are. And uh, I live in a household again where, uh, you know, there's somebody who watches first things first and there's somebody who watches first take. And you have Stephen A. Smith saying some not nice things about Detroit as a city. Um, and the the first time they bring up the Lions on first things first, it's Hmm. Baker Mayfield had a pretty good season though, right? <laughs> uh, maybe, Again. maybe it's time on the other side. Cause like I'm hearing Cowherd, one of his, he, it's the, it's subject number two out of his mouth out of after bills and chiefs, it's Detroit belongs here. So maybe, maybe I'm just uh, looking at different shows. We all live in our own bubbles. We all sure. live in our own bubbles for sure. I'm just saying that like nationally, I don't think that a lot of people think that the lions belong with these teams and that's fine. Like they're they're They have their own opinions, right? They can keep their own opinions. And how many lions games have they watched this season? I don't know, but I, I'm just saying that we know what's going on here and it's not, it doesn't end when, when, when this ride comes to an end, whenever it does, right. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. going to keep going. So the, the other point I want to make here, and, and maybe it goes along with this a little bit because the lions, I mean, to be, to, to Ryan's point, the Lions are seven point underdogs, right? In the in the conference championship mm-hmm. round. Like there, there, there's 
at least somewhere a public perception that the Lions aren't on the same level as the 49ers if that line holds all week. And, and I imagine in the first 24 hours now that it has ho- held pretty steady, it probably will continue to do so. I think it actually opened six and a half <clears throat> and moved to seven, actually. Well, so it go. was moving even more towards San Francisco. So they're but, a bigger underdog than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who everybody in Detroit was overlooking, right? So Right. No. Um, but, but, I mean, first of all, that that's where this team's comfort zone is, right? From like the playing the other underdog. They love to play the underdog. They love to feel underappreciated. And so they're going to be right at home in San Francisco on the road where the expectation is for them to lose by a touchdown. But the thing that that I admire about this team, and I, I just talked about the franchise and, and the people in charge of it, but the players to me continue to blow my mind at how ca- how cavalier they are about all this. This is this is there's so much weight of this team's history on their shoulders, and it's almost like they're too ignorant. They're too young to to even naive, maybe to even understand. And that's why, like, I I can't shake the the Dan Campbell postgame press or uh, not postgame press or the the locker room celebration where he just he turns to the team and he like screams. Do you understand what you're doing right now? Like you, the fact that you're doing all of this, you, I mean, every single challenge this team has faced, oh, you've never played in a game like this, that the Packers are, are, are a win away from making the playoffs and you got nothing to play for. You've never been on a stage like this in national TV. It's too big for you. You're not going to make it. Lines beat the Packers. Oh, opening week, you they gave you the Chiefs. Good luck, buddy. You are not ready for a championship caliber team on banner raising night. No big oh. deal. Nash, five more national games. They win them all, including in Dallas. Yeah, we gas we game. gas up the Vikings. Oh yeah, them. NFL. Yeah, the the divisions on the line. Hat and T-shirt game. You guys have never been here before. It's been thirty years since you guys won a division. Good luck trying to win it on the road in a division game. Pfft, no big deal. Uh oh, big boy Matthew Stafford's coming into town. You guys haven't won a playoff the team game in you didn't want to see. The one team you didn't want to see, and oh boy, the narratives are going to be hot. Who cares? We got it. It's in the bag. That is just the the fact that this young-ass team, the fifth youngest team in football, just continues to shrug their shoulders at the the, the thing in front of I mean, when we get to the playoffs, every single year, it's like, "Eh, which team has been here the, the most? The most seasoned teams, they know how to win in January. You need to be able to have those veteran guys on your team. No, you don't. You just need to have confidence MFers and the Lions got a full roster of those guys that that just they look at this moment and they don't care about the history. They don't care about the stakes. They don't care about how many people are watching them on national TV. They are not caring about how many people are picking the other team or how hot the other team is. They're just going out there and balling week after week after week after week. And so, yeah, I'm I'm sitting here on a Monday. The Lions are seven point underdogs in the NFC championship game. And you know how I spent the re- most of my m- morning working on Super Bowl credentials. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. I walked by guys stocking a vending machine at my place of work. And they were talking about how much they wanted to see the lions in the Super Bowl because they were tired of the other teams. There is this sense that lions are America's team. And you're going to see a lot of people jumping on board with it. You'll see some people poo-pooing it, too. No one is universally loved. But I think what it is in the love, fear, 
respect categories, Lions have a lot more respect now. From from maybe not from everyone, but certainly across the board from local fans too. That is as loud as it's ever been in Ford Field. We said it before the season, Jeremy, as you watch how many Lions fans were coming to practices that this feels different. We've never seen Detroit and Michigan rally around a Lions team like this before. There was something different in the air. And how rare is it? Can we say that? And then it turns out to be true. Not only true, but true beyond, I think, even our dreams. How like to to do what Lions fans have done to and you're you're absolutely right about this team, too, because they've had this attitude like all that stuff we talk about that we talk about as fans, as commentators, about the emotions and everything. This team almost feels like they are just they're just exactly what Dan Campbell is. Just barking and chewing away no matter what. Like they don't they don't seem to. Un- You're right. They don't seem to understand what they're doing, because if they did, the moment would probably rise up and, and swallow them would swallow anyone with just how emotional it is. And they don't care because this is a bunch of professionals. It is professional. This team is beyond, it is young, but it is beyond professional in its years, in its actions, and how it plays football. Here's the thing that I want to go back to, to Jeremy's point about maybe this team being too naive for the moment, right? It's, it's Derek Barnes accepting that game ball. And who does he give it to? He gives it to the linebackers room, right? Like he gives it to the guys that believed in him, like Alex Anzalone and, and Shep. Like he gives it to those guys because this is the difference with this football team is they're not playing for 60 years of, of, you know, futile play. They're not playing for 60 years of an 0-16 team and being the laughing stock of the NFL. They're playing for one another. None of those guys have been none of those guys were alive when, when any of that stuff was happening. They're 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 playing free from that. And they're playing free from that because of the guy who's leading them. And because it's one of the it's one of the foundation tent poles of this organization is accountability and playing for the guy next to you. And all of these guys are just playing for one another. It doesn't matter who's lining up across from them. They're playing for they're playing for their coaches. They're playing for the the guys who are lining up next to them. They're playing for one another. And that all starts from the top down. And I, I think the biggest, one of my favorite moments from, from Dan's presser today was, I mean, I, I love the comment from Jared Goff talking about he's the greatest leader I've ever been around. And Dan Campbell responding like, hey, like I, I don't know what to really say about that other than like flattery, right? Mm-hmm. And... It's just an awesome thing that's going on. It's cool. On. It's cool. It's just damn cool. And it's and damn I, cool I, that I can spin, spin the story in the sense that Dan Campbell himself was once part of it. He had to sit and watch a team go 0-16. And, and he got to come back as his coach. And here we are. He's doing something that hasn't been done since the 1950s. Since before the AFL-NFL merger. And and I love that you bring up the linebacker room, too, because they're I mean, that's just like a microcosm of this team, right? Like two years Blood ago, bath. Blood yeah, bath, right? we laughed at that comment two years ago. It was just, oh, yeah, the, we, we look at the from the outside and said this linebacker group is horrible. There's no one amongst the group. Alex Anzalone is a cast off. You know, Derek Barnes, 
is, is an edge rusher turned linebacker. He's not going to do anything. And and Kelvin Shepard stood up there and said, listen, there's going to be competition. We're really happy with that room. It's going to be a bloodbath. Whoever comes out of it is, is going to be who they are. And we laughed at it. And then they came back this year and they said, hey, I know we drafted Jack Campbell, but Derek Barnes, he's coming. Yeah, OK, sure. Whatever, Shep. Sure, whatever. You're not going to start your first round draft pick all year. He's not going to be your full time starter. You drafted this guy in the first round, twenty whatever overall. Derek Barnes plays what sixty percent of the snaps this year and makes the biggest play in franchise history. And, and and what did they do before that, Jeremy? They doubled down. They said, "Oh, Alex Anzalone. He's not just a familiar face from New Orleans. He's yeah. a guy we're going to give a big contract to." Right. Yeah. And again, and, laughed at and a team captain. They drafted Laugh Jack. Can- they drafted Jack Campbell and told Derek Barnes, "This is no. We're this. We're we're not trying to replace you here. This is not an indication of how good or bad you are as a linebacker. We're just going to add more pieces out here." They didn't and, give and, up on Derek Barnes, <clears throat> right? And there are probably people now that are like, "Oh my God, you spent this first round draft pick on Jack Campbell and he played forty percent of the snaps for you. Like, what kind of drafting is that?" Well. How about you You show some patience, the patience that this team had in a guy like Alex Anzalone knew, knowing he was going to be a leader. And once he was in his right position, he'd start balling out the patience they showed with Derek Barnes, knowing that it was a new position for him and it was going to take time. Give give Jack Campbell some time and let's see where he is next year, even maybe even the year after. And it, it's again like the the amount of trust that this regime should be building within its fans for just being a little bit more patient than maybe you wanted to be at the beginning of this. Because I remember, I'm sure all of you remember, in year one, in year two, when this team was losing, everyone was like, this is why they should have been more aggressive in free agency. This is why they should have been more aggressive at the trade deadline. They were right the entire time. They were right to take it at the pace they were going. And to be quite honest, being where they are right now in three years is a, I mean, they that's a speed run for this franchise and every step of the way, the coaches have been doing it the right way. The general manager has been doing it the right way. And it's culminated in this magical season. And it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, what the front office has done on top of everything too, they get as much credit to be here as anyone else, just on how much this has been a home run. We've, we've had our moments. We talked about the first night of the draft and we've talked a lot about the aggressive moves of Brad Holmes to move up or down, but he's been confident in every piece of talent that the that this organization has targeted. And they've been in lockstep with what Dan Campbell's wanted to do on the field. And how much of this, this year is Jameer Gibbs out there running like a monster and Sam Laporta. We've talked enough about those guys, rookies nonstop. How much of it is Panay Sewell? How much of it is all these guys, second year rookies, third year that they have just trusted all the way through to be the building block. These aren't, like, again, what what differentiates them from San Francisco is San Francisco guys. Those are all veterans. Those are all a lot older. This is a team that's doing what San Francisco is doing and is just they're young guys. They and they are playing like. The best of them, they're playing playoff caliber. Championship caliber football already. That uh, we've we've gone this entire time without even uttering a Fatu Melfanu's name. This is a guy who go oh, man. go 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 back and look at roster bubble predictions. I think we all had him right? off the bubble. <laughs> I mean, a third round pick that everybody had casted aside because uh, does he have a position? Can he stay healthy? I mean, is there any his his run 
at the end of the season felt it feels very akin to what James Houston did the previous year. So it's 100%. like, oh, okay, what the hell do the Lions and their coaching staff have up their sleeve at any given turn? Because when we talk about Jameer Gibbs, what was the narrative on Jameer Gibbs through the first month of the season? Oh, pfft. Great. He went to Detroit where Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson don't know how to use him. <laughs> Are they ever going to use this guy? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Arthur Smith got fired. <laughs> We could even the Lions go. Lions all- are in the NFC Championship game because they knew when to press the gas on guys. Yeah, they know when to push the guys. They know this. Why? Really? Goes back to the very beginning of this entire thing. The genesis of this coaching staff is all built on former players, and a lot of people said this feels like a silly, silly thing to do, right? Yeah. This weird test tube. Experiment. You know, you know, you know there why wasn't it is? that there wasn't that outside criticism when the Lions were going to be the Patriots of the West. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it didn't feel like there was as much of a pushback to when that happened to when Detroit decided to say, you know what, we're going to find the guys that we that that we want to put in place and and we're going to go from there. Right. Like it felt like it's just I don't know. You know what it is? No, no. You know what it is, Ryan? You know why it is? It's because they're the Detroit Lions. That's what the new meaning of that phrase is. Oh, dude, I thought you were going to go into a craft jerky read, and I was like, that's... <laughs> no, no, that is that is actually happening right now. See, now wait, wait, I wanted to land in a nice did. line. I wanted to land a nice <laughs> line about they're the Detroit Lions. No, I, I, I'll, I'll well. set you up. Okay. I'll set you up here. Here we go. Okay, because I, we'll I want to get it. Do it live. I want, I want to get on... Uh, if he talk a little bit, just yeah, for a yeah, but I want to, I want to use that. I want to do that because we got a lot of players to talk about as well. Oh no, 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 yeah. I know, yeah. but I will lead you in. Trust, okay. trust okay. me. Okay, okay, round two. Because if he, I mean, first, let's be clear here. If not for Iffy's rise at the end of the season, the Lions are not still playing football. Like the NFC North may have been a tight finish without Ifatu Melifan. They certainly don't win two playoff games without Ifatu Melifanu. That is for certain because the defensive turnaround that they've had in terms of disruptive plays can almost all be traced to Ifatu Melifanu. Ifatu Melifanu and one other thing. They're the Detroit Lions. They are the Detroit Lions. We can say that without even thinking about like that this is that that means something negative. They're the Detroit Lions. That's why. And it's because of meat, too. And the Pride of Detroit podcast is brought to you by that righteous felon craft jerky. It's the jerky Detroit that fills your Detroit line. No, I wanted to do my <laughs> rant and you're setting me up for You me. already had it. You said that already. You could have kept that part in. Righteous felon jerky and meat sticks are available to Lions players. The training facility is at Allen Park and we are all fighting internally because we haven't had our meat. Each two ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein. Each stick has eight grams. If it's good enough for the Lions, it's got to be good enough for you too. What am I doing? I gave them a read last night too. And here we are trying to put in more meat. Okay. Um, Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania. They use locally sourced all natural black Angus beef revolutionary branding, superior quality, unique flavors beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. POD 15 at checkout. POD 15 at righteousfelon.com. 15% off your order. Do it now. POD 15, righteousfelon.com. We come back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Hey, 
Let's actually talk about some of the players in this game. Let's talk about breaking down the game. And let's also talk about an addition the Lions have made. Hmm? Someone is jumping on the Detroit Lions roster to chase a ring. I said it. And I won't take it back. We'll be right back. Pride of Detroit, POD cast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pride to Detroit POD cast. We're going to get into San Francisco eventually here a little bit. We will have a first bite, obviously, to deal with the 49ers. Before we move on, though, like, again, we talked a lot of emotions. We talked a lot about how we got here. And near the end, we talked a little bit about the players who brought us here in Afatu Melifanu. But I think it's time we dip into the rest of the player performances in this game because uh, I, there's... So much really to talk about through all of this. Why uh, I don't even know where we want to start, Jeremy. We could talk about Penesul and Taylor Decker. I know PFF both gave them tremendous grades, and Frank Ragno played like an Iron Man out there. We could talk about again going back to Pro Football Focus, the Jalen Reeves Maben ninety grade defensively, and how well he performed out there. The linebackers in general, Aiden Hutchinson. He has been a lightning bolt in these playoffs. We could talk about Jergoff. Where do you where do you go first in all of this now that we've taken Ify off the board? I mean, I, I think I want to pass the mic to Ryan, who is repping one of the guys that we have to talk about at you know for as long as possible because yeah. if for for those that are just listening at home. He's got a whiteboard behind him that says all pro Frank Ragnow. And I think I think we need to give this man as many flowers as possible. So to Ryan, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, all pro Frank Ragnow, Walter Payton, man of the year nominee and should be soon to be winner. Frank Ragnow, like, uh, to quote the, uh, the venerable Dan Campbell, Frank's a stud. And I think in the aftermath of this game and seeing what he went through the way that, and and Jeremy, I know you're up in the box and everything, but like the the broadcast showing Frank on the sideline, just wincing in pain. And the thought of losing both him and Jonah in this game, the, the, the whole game changes. The complexity of this game changes. Jonah goes down. If, if Frank has to leave that game too, I, I, Graham sliding over to center and, you know, Colby's moving in at right mm-hmm. guard and, I'm having flashbacks to Thanksgiving versus the bills, right? Like it's a completely different game when you, the the Buccaneers are built to make pressure happen along the interior. Every snap with Vita Vey and Kalijah Kansi on you. It's a war. It was a war for Frank that entire day. And Frank 
what sprained knee, sprained ankle. Doesn't matter. As Nick Baumgartner, you know, said on Twitter, guys made of rubber. You know, it, it seems like he 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 just he's incredible, man. And he's he's one of the old guard, right? Like I, I think mm-hmm. that is another piece of of all this is he's a guy who's been here for for quite some time. And now he's just finally reaping, you know, the benefits of of staying here and staying committed to this thing. And he's so important to everything they do up front from calling protections to, uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, the gall to call a Craig Reynolds fourth (laughs) and one run behind an injured Frank Ragnow who has to take on Vita Vea. Is that I mean that's something that goes in Lions lore. Like that's something that will stand the test of time and should be one of the one of the moments that everybody remembers from the season. Um and, and Frank is no pun intended, but front and center in in everything this offense can do, Jeremy. And did, I mean, did you think we'd get to a point? where Frank Ragnow playing with a broken throat was his second most impressive physical feat. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, dude, it, it's become a meme. Like Frank Ragnow on the injury report, knee back, toe rest, knee back, toe rest, knee back, toe rest. Every single freaking week, it's the same thing over and over again. And to that, he adds in the middle of this game, another sprained knee, another sprained ankle to go on top of the knee back to rest. Like it's just, it's, it's absolutely insane what he's doing physically. And on top of that, he's the best center in the freaking league. On top of that, he is a freak when it comes to studying this game. This is something that Dan Campbell talked about today because he was asked about outside of just like the physicalness of him. Talk about how important he is. Remember last week leading up to the game, Ben Johnson was like, he's our secret weapon against one of the most complicated and unpredictable blitzing defenses in the league. He is our dude because he goes back to week two tape and makes sure he knows every single look they could be throwing at them so that they have a counter punch so that before the balls even snapped, the Lions have already won because in this game, they blitz 50 some percent of the time and, and produced what five five pressures out of those blitzes. That's because of Frank Ragnow. That's and and, uh, and you know there's, there's a fair amount of credit that goes to Jared Goff as well because that's part of his game that he's expanded upon. But Frank Ragnow is so damn important to what this team does in terms of their protection, in terms of their physicalness up front, in terms of their overall identity. That the fact that he can also be one of the most courageous and tough and physical players on this team. Is just, I mean, there's no one on this team you should be more proud of. I I would love to go to a game and see 60,077 jerseys in the stands because he's earned it. Yeah, he's one that that's I, one of the unique... Real quick, I think that's one of the, the things that I don't know if I'm just living in a bubble or if that's a unique thing, but like, it's not weird to see a 77 jersey. It's not weird to see a 58 jersey. You know what I mean? Like... These are offensive linemen. Like, is that <laughs> happening in other cities and other fan bases around the league where we're celebrating our offensive linemen the way that we do and, and appreciating them for what they do? And and, and Chris, the, the post-game comments from Frank where, you know, talking about gutting it out and, and doing that because he he's like, this team rewarded me with an extension, and I want to honor that extension by by playing, by playing 73 of 73 snaps. 
he's in that Jason Kelsey, that Joe Thomas stratosphere of like this guy represents your this offensive lineman represents your team. Everything that is good and honest and great about your team. I mean, Lions have three of them in my mind. Sewell and, and Decker are that. But Ragnow is quintessentially the guy you look towards in 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 all those things. And I think you're right. I've I've been sitting here talking about what jersey I'm going to get when they do re- redesign the jerseys, if they redesign the jerseys here eventually. And I know I need to get a St. Brown one, but I might have to also grab a Ragnow one because that's a, that that is a jersey I feel like you will always be able to wear to a Lions game like like like, you know, I was having this conversation with a friend who was like a Seahawks fan. He didn't want to get a Bobby Wagner jersey, but I'm like, Bobby Wagner is always going to be a jersey you can wear. Joe Thomas is always going to be a jersey you can wear for the Browns. Frank Ragnow, I think we can say right now, Ryan, will always be a jersey you can wear for the Detroit Lions. People know exactly who who you're talking about. Um, I'm really glad that he has taken the mantle from Dominic Rayola as the uh the point of more different that person. is that is father of like one of the best quarterback <laughs> prospects in the country, Dominic Rayola. Um we t- we talked coming into this game about how good the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense was, Jeremy. Much like the Lions, they love to stop the run. That's their you they don't want you running on them. They want to make you one-dimensional. That's how they beat you. Jameer Gibbs, every time he touched the ball in this game, he averaged over eight yards. <laughs> Nine carries, 74 yards, four receptions, 40 yards. We've run out of things to say about, about him. He's come a long, long way in one year. He's trucking guys with the ball tucked against his hip, staring into a camera as he goes into the end zone. I I cannot think of one more electric moment from that game besides a 31 yard rushing touchdown. Like you, you we we talked about it when he was drafted. You want to talk about the all purpose weapon. Here he is. And I've run out of adjectives to describe him. I really have. It was it was the pinnacle of of his season. It was that impressive of a performance, not just because of 31 yard run, but the 40 yards he added in the receiving game, you know, over 100 all purpose yards. And and you're right. Like this was a team that you weren't supposed to be able to do that against. This was a defense that the Lions admitted they had to pass the ball to open up the running game, not vice versa, as it normally works. And Gibbs was everything the Lions build him to be. He was that multi-purpose weapon that that. Brad Holmes begged people to see beyond just the guy who can run between the tackles. And he he almost, almost, he didn't get quite there, but he almost got me to a point where I'm saying, all right, I'm finally on board with this draft pick in the first round. He didn't quite get there. (laughs) Maybe if he would have added a second touchdown, maybe. Because in all honesty, drafting drafting a running back is... The the reason against that is a long-term proposition. And so just because he has a good year one doesn't mean all those people were necessarily wrong. But But it's... it's, I I can understand where you're coming from on the principle of it. You're also very (laughs) pig-headed about this and won't let us go, just like you won't let go flea-flicking and punting. (laughs) The wettest of blankets. (laughs) But... You are right. Gibbs like Gibbs Antoine is Antoine Winfield's soul. <laughs> that is an all pro safety. 
I think we had a guy call into the radio show and said that like one of the Gibbs plays Gibbs made reminded him of Barry Sanders in okay. 1990. Okay. Not, not, he was, you know, okay. he was very clear to say it wasn't the caliber of player Sanders was, but like still to do that. Yeah. What to do these things that Gibbs does. And my main point is that I, I will still listen to you about the running back thing. But when but when it, you have the chance to take a Jameer Gibbs at number 12, you do it. Here, the, the thing that I thought that was interesting about this game, though, like Jeremy just said, you know, Lions feeling like they needed to pass the ball in order to open up the run. This just felt like maybe the first game all season long where I, as a viewer, was saying less David Montgomery and more Jameer Gibbs. This was the first game yeah. where I felt like the tables had been turned and whether or not that was because you know and, and and no no shade or no um no indictment on the the game that David Montgomery had I, you know in terms of efficiency didn't look didn't look incredible you know i think it was like 3 point something years of carry um but it just felt like and it still it continues to feel like it really feels like the chargers game like the chargers game felt like the game where Okay, like this guy is just so electric that you put the ball in his hands. And I mean, Jeremy, how many opportunities, even in Sunday's game, did it feel like if Gibbs could just get to the corner? Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a couple plays. He almost got there. I mean, it it was almost a house call. Right. So it just felt like there were those plays that happened earlier on where it was like, damn it, more Jameer. Less yeah. David. Uh, he's so I, close. I, he's so close. And it, and it felt like it felt calculated. It felt like mm-hmm. a measure of Ben Johnson and the offense saying, we know how we can take advantage of this aggressive Bucks D that, yeah, they can stop. They can stop the run between the tackles, but we have a guy who can get outside of them and, and, and can go the distance. So I, I thought again, just like a masterclass from Gibbs and, and John, John Ledyard told you all about it on first bite. True. And, you know, and, you know, Dan Campbell, he says it takes a village. And like you look at some of the run blocking grades for some of the guys coming out of this and you see the run blocking thrown to support a guy like Gibbs. Like when the Lions run the ball for Gibbs, everyone's in lockstep to make is like we need to make let we need to put ourselves out there. We need to make some blocks because we know Jameer Gibbs can make a play happen. Gibbs Gibbs. I don't know if you saw this from next gen stats. Gibbs posted an 88.9 success rate on his nine rushes, which for the for the math impaired, that's eight out of his nine rushes were quote unquote successful, which has a big long definition. But just the 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 long and short of it is everyone every play gained at least what it was what it should have, what the lines were intending on it gaining. And so um just just an outstanding night from him. It was I, I tease about the draft stuff. The, it was it was a joy to watch him last night. You have anyone else? Uh, let's see. We've done Frank Rag now for for my for Ryan. Jameer Gibbs for myself. I mean, can we talk about Derek Barnes? You can, <laughs> can we go ahead. Can, can we give the man his flowers and, and point out that that was quite possibly one of the best drop back into coverage zone coverage reads I've seen from a Lions linebacker ever in the biggest moment ever. Um, It was text. I mean, it was teach tape. It was, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy in the locker room. It couldn't happen to a guy that, as we mentioned in the first segment, we had, I mean, we had buried the guy. We had laughed at, at the idea that he was going to outplay and 
and make the lineup over a first round draft pick. Um, a, a guy few who weeks had, ago against a, Dallas. A few weeks ago against Dallas, he has the infamous non-sack play that, that turns into a 90-plus yard touchdown. The man has a, a child for the first time two weeks ago. Um, I just, like, that is what got me the most emotional after this game, is just thinking about what that moment meant for him. And and seeing how proud a guy like Alex Anzalone was after a game, watching him in, in the post-game press conference as you, or post-game locker room celebration, as he pointed out, giving it up to his room that it, that had meant so much to him all season. It was just, I, I it, it was a perfect play. It couldn't have happened to a better person. And now he's immortalized in Detroit Lions history as having one of the biggest plays in franchise history. And, and and this was a guy I, I know a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy, we were t- we were talking about what kind of shuffling the Lions could do at linebacker, right? Like it seemed like Jack Campbell had been playing pretty well. What like one of these guys is going to be you know left on the cuttering floor when it comes to snaps? And you know, it, Derek Barnes has really been a revelation in run defense. But that's been the question, right? Is like the coverage aspect of it as, as a guy who, you know, at, at Purdue had his hand in the dirt and was an edge rusher. And that, so it, there were, there were layers to the, the learning process and the maturation process with him. And it, it goes back to the coaching staff. It goes back to Shep. It goes back to, like he said, the, the, the guys who believed in him, the guys who believed in him in that room. And, uh, you know, to see him make a play in a phase where all of us had question marks about Derek Barnes, um, it was, it was special, man. Again, like there's the moment with Frank moving Vita Vea out of the way to clear room for Craig Reynolds. There's Derek Barnes making that interception. Like these are moments that I, you know what I mean? Like the, right, yeah, are, there's, there's iffy against the Vikings to, to send them to the first NFC North crown. I'm on rock catching the first down that, that puts Matthew Stafford in a grave. Like, yeah. Like there's these are, these, these are moments. moments. These are moments like big, big time moments in, and it's not just Amon Ra St. Brown catching a touchdown pass against the Vikings to give the Lions their first victory of the Dan Campbell era, right? <laughs> right. They're they're not just like forlorn, like, oh yeah, like it's cute, like that's cool. But like these are big time moments. Like your big boy pants are on and you're making it's moments. A- you're you're making memories and moments where it's critical. And it's a continuation too, like, cause it's not just out of a blue somewhere. It's every week. St. Brown had another touchdown to on, on against the bucks. Like these are your key contributors. This isn't just like a guy who's just here for a cup of coffee. This is someone who's like so integral to the identity of your team. And like St. Brown himself still going out there after the game, still blue hair and all talking with Scott Van Pelt and just, all all that's coming out of his mouth is about this team and how hard everyone's worked to get here to do all of this. Like, that's what I mean. Once again, it takes a village. There's there's a million things I want to talk about with this game. We, I mean, we should probably give more flowers to to Jared Goff for the amazing mm-hmm. second half that he had. Aiden Hutchinson continues to be a monster. That the blitzing in the second half. But but while we're on Amon Ross St. Brown right now, like I have mm-hmm. to bring up one of the biggest plays of the game that I feel like we we've all forgotten about. The third and 14, where he caught the comeback route and was still two yards short, turned it upfield somehow between two defenders and wrestled those two yards away from the Bucks defense to continue the drive alive. And I believe that turned into the, the Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown yeah. two or three plays later that pushed it to a 14-point lead, the game-winning score. 
Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Brandt talks about angry runs. That's Those are angry catches that St. Brown makes. I have never seen a wide receiver fight harder for a few more yards because he knows he needs to get a first down. Like, the man the man just does not let anyone stop him easy. Mm, yeah, well, that that's a clearly a mentality thing because uh, where we were in week 18 with Sam Laporta's knee to where we all are two weeks later where the guy has 11 targets and nine catches for 65 yards. And Ben Johnson, you call a play where Sam Laporta is catching the ball almost stationary and he has guys diving at his legs. How defensive backs are taught to tackle. I'm, I'm worried. I'm concerned. Like, but again, not faced by it by any means. And like, just tough as nails. He's a rookie. The lights are not too bright for him by any means whatsoever. Like Laporta, just incredible. Because who's behind him, Jeremy? Brock Wright breaks his forearm. We're looking to the Ivy League <laughs> as an opportunity for this team to like keep things going at tight end, but like, like not faced by it at all. None. Can I want to give one more credit to someone? I you were kind of leading me to Zachers, but I feel like we'll we'll save him for the next segment. Um, and it's not a player, but I I don't know how you feel about this, Jeremy, but this might be one of the best games Aaron Glenn's called. Yeah. Outside of like you know the before the the end of the half, which is you know they're in tempo, it's hard to stop them when they're going that fast and. The one you know, just sending the blitz one too many times, but Baker Mayfield came in as hot as any quarterback has been and Lions didn't really let them run the ball, which meant they had to. I mean, Rashad White got a few for himself, but that is a offense that has a lot of varied weapons to worry about. And you made Baker Mayfield uncomfortable all day long, all all day long, sacked him four times. Should have probably had a fifth if that play gets looked at a little bit more closely. Just me uh, took two two away from him, but like I think that was for all of the st- for and for everything Aaron Glenn's gone through with the fans this year about what are you doing questions about zone versus man all this other stuff where fans think they're that they're smarter than the guy than than the than the guys running the defense like how was that to take that that offense and just make them make them really just struggle cuz once again the defense's job in the modern NFL is to make sure you can keep pace or make mistake make the other team make mistakes enough that they lose basically what is a back and forth uh serve in in tennis and the lions led wire to wire once again and it, there were times when Tampa Bay brought Hella defense like this game started with the Lions going three and out. Uh, for a team that wants to always have. Have uh, I don't want to use the word, I'm trying not to use the word around Jeremy, um, but you, you know what the I same mean? Momentum, they, but they want to. It's a pace. It's a pace. They want to be the ones who dictate the pace right. and they couldn't. And we got worried and then and then we see, oh, Oh, this is a lot of pressure that that Aaron Glenn's dialing up. Oh, CJ Gardner Johnson's getting that interception. Like this was the best defensive, 
uh, strategy I've seen Aaron Glenn do. I think what's phenomenal about it is that Aaron Glenn has one arm tied behind his back. Let's just be honest. This team does not have an outside corner where we're starting right now. And, and my apologies to Cam Sutton. He's in some sort of rut right now that he can't seem to get out of. I know he's capable of being a starting cornerback in this league, but he's just he has not played like it for a month. And to be missing those two key pieces, two outside corners against guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Puka Nakua and whoever else the Lions have been facing over the past two months. Glenn has been fighting his ass off, man. And to be able to create these pressures, to create these packages, when you know the other offensive coordinator is thinking this team cannot create any pressure unless they're actually throwing four, five, six guys at us. We need to be ready for all of these looks. And it seemed like every single time on Sunday night, Aaron Glad had an answer to find an unblocked defender to make Baker Mayfield uncomfortable, to make him get out of the pocket, to make him hurry a throw that gets overthrown and eventually tipped in interception, or to just get him sacked. Four sacks, eight quarterback hits, four punts. You take that kind of performance Every single time. And in fact, you look back, holding the Bucks to 23, pretty good. Holding the Rams to 23, great. Holding the Vikings to 20, holding the Cowboys to 20, holding the Vikings again to 24, holding the Broncos to 17. They've been doing this for two months now. And and I think maybe we've just been overlooking it, but I, I agree with you, Chris. I thought I thought Sunday's game was one of his best. Uh, if I could just give some numbers real quick, because Baker was almost perfect in the regular season against the blitz um, pro football focus um, looking at Baker's numbers, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, um, uh, you know, a, a passing grade of 74.4, which admittedly pretty good. I mean, that put him like 12th among quarterbacks against the blitz uh, on Sunday against the lions, uh, a 48.3 grade, <laughs> a touchdown and an interception. Uh, he was sacked on three of his 21 dropbacks against against the Blitz on Sunday. Uh, he in, in the regular season, though, Baker was only sacked seven times on 153 dropbacks. Like there was an element to that game. That it's not the offensive line, it's not the center making the right calls and the right reads in terms of who to pick up and who to, like there were some plays where like it's Baker's responsibility to hit a hot, hot read, right? There were guys coming off the edge uncontested all, you, all night long. You had, you had Waluigi Aiden Hutchinson off the edge, <laughs> like putting Baker in a panic, like putting him in a torture chamber. You know what I mean? And And again, all credit in the world to Aaron Glenn to be like, Hey, like I have a guy who can come unblocked. And I'm going to force Baker to to make those reads and to and he, he didn't the clock. Yeah. And he didn't. For a guy who I don't know if there's a guy who's done more with less on this football team than Aaron Glenn. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the one addition the Lions added this week and maybe a little bit of San Francisco because we're on to San Francisco. That's right. We'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast.
Pride to Detroit POD cast. Last segment here is going to be a bit of a short one. We have a few moments, a few pieces to clean up right now. One of the unfortunate things that happened from Bucks Lions. Um, Jeremy, maybe you can help me with this because I did not see the play where Rock Wright got hurt. No one really did. You didn't either. Nope. Like, uh, did you get any clarity where where he got hurt, where he broke his forearm? Yeah. Uh, no, well, forearm. <laughs> It doesn't matter. He broke his forearm. Okay. He's going to go on IR. Okay. Okay. I, I just think fans were just yeah. confused as to where it happened. I, I'm assuming no. it was a special teams play or something, but certainly don't didn't see it either way. Uh, very unfortunate, especially after seeing the actions rock, right? Got literally almost literally to a T on the, uh, the same touchdown he caught, you know, uh, against the jets. Yep. Yeah. It has left, however, the Lions in a bit of a hole. Sam Laporta is your primary tight end who is still dealing with his knee. And James Mitchell is on IR and Brock Wright's not going to be available. But I never thought I could see this, that a man, a veteran who wants to play for a championship contender released late in the year. Coming on to join the Detroit Lions, Ryan. Zach Ertz, formerly of the Arizona Cardinals before that, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think some people kind of expect that his play has dipped, but like his catch rate has still been what it's been throughout his entire career. It's just he's been playing with, you know, the problem for him has been he's been struggling to stay. He was struggling the last couple of years to stay healthy and asked for the Cardinals to release him this year. So, but yeah. like, yeah. yeah, go on. Well, yeah, I mean, signed signed to the Lions practice squad. So there's like still some some hurdles in terms of him getting to the active roster. I don't I don't foresee them being preventing him because who else? Right. At this point, if you're the Lions, who else? And, uh, I, you know, looking at Ertz, you get I mean, you get a, a, a pros pro. Right. I mean, he's been around the block. He's done this for so long. And I know people were clamoring about. Ertz being um, a possible replacement for when Laporta initially got hurt and, you know, it just ends up coming to fruition. But Jeremy, that like, like Chris said, there hasn't been a, a player of a high profile name, uh, you know, you know, sack up with the lions for, for a playoff run partially because it hasn't happened. And maybe everybody's forgetting about Dwight Freeney and his illustrious run with the Detroit lions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess, Jeremy, the the question is like, what if any kind of impact do you think Ertz could have in a conference championship game, and how much how much would they be putting on his plate? I mean, not a lot. I I, I get everyone's excited. It's a pro bowler. It's a it's it's a guy that's signing to the Lions for a championship run, but he's he's not going to take away from Sam Laporta's 80-90% of the snaps. He might not even be tight end two for this upcoming game. Like that might be Anthony Ferkser, a guy who knows the playbook back and front because he's been with the team. At this point, Zach Ertz just kind of an extra body. And I understand he's a good receiver and and still can can bring it and you know was pretty productive for the Cardinals over the past two years. And you know, he even has a relationship with Steve Hyden, the Lions tight end coach where where there was overlap during his time with Arizona, but he's coming in in the middle of a week in the middle of a playoff run. And 
like you said, he, he's on the practice squad. There's no guarantee he even gets called up for this NFC championship game, although I, I doubt the Lions would go into this game with only two healthy tight ends. So he'll probably be there and active, but I mean, he's, this guy isn't going to catch like 70 yards and a touchdown in the NFC championship no, game. You just, you just want it. him to... <laughs> you just want him to be able to take some load off of Sam Laporta. So Sam Laporta is not playing 100 percent of the snaps <laughs> and like still still have the other team respect you when you put a tight end out it, out there that isn't Sam Laporta. I mean, Jason can bid still on this roster, too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. The, the Lions could get they could get uh, I don't know, not cute's the wrong word, but like they, they can move some stuff around and, and they can give the 49ers maybe some other looks that they might not be anticipating because of the spot that they're in. But um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. Keep your expectations low, right? That's right. what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like Brock, Wright, He's taking Brock Wright's role. Like it's either, either, either him or Ferkser. It, it's, it's not even about Sam Laporte at all. And, to be quite honest, Zach Ertz isn't anywhere close to the same player as a guy like Brockhart. He's not really much of a blocker in general. It's not not that he's unwilling. It's just not his strength. And I think what the Lions are more so looking for in this position is a guy who can block, who can be part of their run game plan. And I think when the Lions go to 12 personnel, it's not going to be Sam Laporta and Zach Ertz. It's going to be Sam Laporta and either, like you said, maybe it maybe maybe they bring. Nah, I was going to say maybe they bring back. uh Rodrigo. Rodrigo, but I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe, maybe it's Cabinda instead. Maybe it's a, a jumbo tight end in, in um, what's his name? More Dan it's Skipper Dan packages. Skipper. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's it, Maybe it's Maybe it's Jalen Reeves, Mabin. I don't know. It could be anybody. I just, just could, I don't could know. be anything. It's, it's, it's a fun signing. It's cool to to say that he's he's joining the Lions for a ring and all that sort of stuff. But this 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 movie actually doesn't move the radar too much for me. I think I think so, it's just an emergency body. I think this is a good good way to set up for another topic. Then, do you th- he will you you think he will be active though for San Francisco? Yeah, right? I, okay. I think the Lions would be smart to have three healthy tight ends. Let me ask you another question then, and I know there's a lot of factors in in play, but we're sitting here on a Monday. Do you think James Houston is active for the Detroit Lions in San Francisco? Because a lot of fans have had the question about. When is James Houston going to play? Is he ready to play? Can he play? I think I think he will. I th- I think the Lions have really just been taking it patient with this process. There really would be no point in activating him at all if they didn't expect at some point he's going to be ready and he's going to help us. So you, you got two games left. Either you did that because you think if we make the Super Bowl, then he'll help us, or you thought let's give him one more week. We think we can beat the Bucks. And maybe he's going to help us against Brock Purdy in the 49ers. I I, th- I think we do see it. And it'll be a question he's probably asked two or three times this week. But um, it's been it's been enough now. He's had a full month to practice at this point. I think that's plenty of time for a guy who had been out for you know four months or whatever it is. It, again, it, it's it's not going to be like a starting role. He's not going to go out there and play 40 snaps on defense. But as a rotational pass rush specialist, Lions could sure use someone opposite Aiden Hutchinson so that they don't have to, like we just said, against the the Buccaneers, like come up with these exotic blitz packages that that force you to lose a guy in the secondary. Now maybe you got a game guy like James Houston and your NASCAR packages, which have been dreadful this year in terms of just sending four pass rushers. Maybe now you have an extra weapon there and another 
tool in your arsenal to to take down Brock Purdy. <clears throat> All right. Any other thoughts as we move on to San Francisco? First blush. Anything about that? This this stick out to you right now? Any any questions in your mind as we look ahead to? Don't believe I can say this. The conference championship. Well, I guess going back to what Jeremy just said about James Houston potentially being activated, and even if he's only in a pass rush specialist role, which is all you can really assume that he would be in, um, Brock Purdy's been pretty darn good against the Blitz this year. Like, he's really, really good. Um, I don't know. This is the monster, man. Like, even though this isn't being treated as David versus Goliath, the 49ers came in with the fourth best odds this year to, to win the Super Bowl. And they're one of only two teams left that are standing um, of the, of those four. And it's the chiefs and, and the 49ers. And even when these playoffs started, the 49ers were minus odds. They were minus 125 to win the, the NFC. They're really good. And But I think the thing that is so interesting and fascinating to me for this week, Chris, Jeremy, it's how the Lions are built a lot like the 49ers offensively. We saw what Penesul has done all his entire career here, right? But like even last week against the Bucks, when Panay is pulled from the right side all the way to the left side and he's blowing people up, that's what Trent Williams does for Christian McCaffrey. Right. That's what Penny Sewell does for Jameer Gibbs. You know, Sam Laporta is a guy that you can put right next to George Kittle in terms of like their effectiveness as as receivers, you know, especially. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of growing pains that have gone on with Sam. But what what has been Dan Campbell's line about Sam Laporta, Jeremy? He only makes a mistake once. Right. And he and he and he learns from it. So there's been a lot of growth there. Uh, You know, I'm on Ross St. Brown. You know, who who knows if we'll see Debo Samuel because he's 50-50, but like there's so many Spider-Man pointing memes between this Lions offense and the San Francisco offense that I think it's it's fascinating. And and I, I'm 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 really looking forward to it. People in the chat right now are calling me wet blanket because of my comments uh, about uh Zach Ertz. Let me let me try to warm you up with a a nice cold nice dry blanket here. Uh because yeah, nice bolt- dry blanket. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> warm and dry blanket. Uh, because, yeah, you're right. These teams are both built the same way offensively. And what is what is the basis of both teams' offense? Running the football. It's it's what they pride themselves on. It's what they're built. It's how they're built in terms of their offensive line and the, the high capital that both teams placed on their backfield. Let me ask you a question. Which one of these defenses is built to stop their own? The number one DVOA? run defense or the number 15 that gave up a hundred and eight rushing yards to Aaron Jones last week, 4.9, a carry to the Packers overall, 136 yards. When's the last time the Lions gave up 136 yards and four, nine, a carry to a running back to any team. Um, it's been a while. It's yeah. Been while. It's been a while. <clears throat> this Packers team. I like, I'm with you. A week ago, I would have been like, this team has no shot against the 49ers. They're in a different class. We've said it all year. There's 
the the Ravens, the 49ers, maybe a team or two else. And then there's Lions tier after that. But after watching the Packers take down the team, I you could make an argument that the Packers played a lot like how the Lions want to play. Running yeah. the ball, setting up play action. If the Packers can take it to the 49ers and by all means probably should have won that game on the road in San Francisco. I know it was rainy and Brock Purdy wasn't at his best and and we are expecting sunny skies in in Santa Clara this week. I understand all of that. But offensively speaking, I'm not that scared of the 49ers and if the Lions run defense can show up again, which they have for 90% of the season, maybe 95% of the season, it's going to be a close ball game. And I'm not I, I I'm not I wasn't surprised by the six and a half, seven point spread, but I'm not afraid of it either. Yeah. I, I think I think it's a good point to bring up though, with you know, the the Lions offense and the 49ers offense and and play action too, right? Like mm-hmm. there's no quarterback in the NFL who has a higher rating grade out of play action than Brock Purdy. But if they're up against a team that can stop the run and keep them honest in that way, what does that do to the 49ers offense? How does, how does, how does the complexity of the game change? I will say the one thing that I thought was most shocking about lions bucks was nobody or their mother thought the bucks were going to come in to Ford field and run the ball the way that they did. True. That felt jarring. And that felt like a missed opportunity by Tampa Bay when they dug themselves into a little bit of a hole and they had to go away from the run. This, to Jeremy, to your point, I do think that this doesn't seem as uh, as tall of a task as it did maybe three weeks ago mm-hmm. to, to beat the 49ers just because it feels like there's at least an opportunity for Detroit to dictate the pace of the game if things if things start the right way, right? It sure. feels like if the Lions can get out to the the the, the start that they want to, um, I don't know. Is this 49ers team are are they are they built to to come from behind in in a way where there's more pressure on Brock Purdy to 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 play more hero ball? I don't know, right? Like I I don't know if the 49ers have really been put in this spot a whole lot this year, um, but. I think out. I think what I know about the Lions right now is that they've proven that they are able to hang with any team you throw at them here near the end of the season. There's not many times you've been able to catch them unawares in a season. And especially right now, they seem to grow just stronger with the pressure you put on them. And here it is. This will be the pressure cooker. This will be the real one. And you're going on the road, a big un underdog we can talk about it like we talked about last week saying you're playing with house money lions don't see it that way lions see it as just another way for them to another game where they have to go to work do their business and impose their will and we on the sidelines we get to watch it because it's fun and it's cool and the lions are doing this all right let's close this up Zero fourth quarter comebacks or game winning drives by Brock Purdy this year. Hmm. Very interesting. We'll break it more down on first bite. We've got a lot more coming this week. Midweek mailbag, Jeremy, or are you just going to read the We shall see. We shall see. Okay. For myself, for Jeremy Reisman, for Ryan Matthews, I'm Chris Perfett. 
See you starside. Go Loins. Pride to Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout. Get you 15% off your order. That's POD15 at RighteousFelon.com.